Welcome back to the Monster Rally Podcast, the greatest podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows because we're 10 episodes in now, so you know we're serious. That's we're it. We made stay. it 10 episodes. Wow, I couldn't even get through the introduction. James like was making a face at me. Let me let me start over again. Let me start over again, James. Let's keep this in. Keep this in. Welcome back to the Monster Rally Podcast, where we're talking about The Mummy's Hand from 1940, directed by Christy Cabana. Did I get it right? <laughs> Cabana. <laughs> and starring Dick Foran, Peggy Morin. What? Those rhyme. <laughs> That's weird. Wallace Ford, Eduardo Cianlalini, George Zucco, and a magician. <laughs> As always, this is Gary, and I am joined by James and Mike. And how are you today, gentlemen? Doing fantastic. I am ready to get down to the wrappings of the mummy's hand. Let's go. I mean, I'm doing less good now that I just heard Mike say that. <laughs> but other than that, you know. Mike, did you say you wanted a wrap for, yes, for the mummy's yes. hand? Uh-huh. I mean, we haven't done the Monster Rally rap in a long time because everyone hated it. So. <laughs> but see, I don't really believe that. I just think that you were, I think that you were underground for your time, but I think people are going to rediscover how good those raps were. I was um, like, I was like the B, I was like B rabbit. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, you, yeah, were, yeah. you were like B ad. You were bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think every mummy movie we should do a rap because, you know, rap, it's a pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm just gonna end this. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't write one, so we're not gonna do. Or I'm not. I don't even feel like improvising. Are you sure? I, know, I feel like you've got so efficient that you could just totally do a freestyle right now. Well, that's, that's Gary. <laughs> Model I, efficiency. I don't. I don't even remember how it went. So, Mike, do you remember how it went? It was something. I just remember doing a lot of really poor beatboxing. Mike, really, can, like, can you sing it for us? <laughs> Hey, no. Mike, give me the Latin beats. Yeah, Mike, give me that Latin beats. <laughs> I got I to gotta rap. Latin beats with a Z. Sure, sure, sure. Come on. No, I'm going to rap. Drop that beat. Oh, we're me. really doing it? I'm going to this out. Okay, here we go. It's the Monster Rally. It's the Monster Rally rap. Monster Rally. Talk about Mummy's hand. What? And the, and the magician. And the magician. <laughs> That was was pretty quality stuff, guys. This is why we don't do that anymore. So here we are. We're in 1940, September 20th. And we're talking about a Mummy sequel a Mm. long time after The Mummy came out. Yes, indeed. Uh, This is an interesting one because this film uh, came out eight years after the original film debuted, making it the longest stretch between an original film and its follow-up in the Universal Monster canon. Uh, This is a personal favorite of mine, so I'm really happy to talk about it. Um, Yeah. Eight years. That's what James Cameron, that's how long he took to do the Avatar sequel, right? Yeah, I think it's A.D. actually, because we're still waiting for the uh, other four films in that franchise. Got it, got it. Is anybody actually waiting for those four films? I'm kind of waiting for them. I mean, fucking nerd. I'm just really happy because Gary sent me the release dates for him. So I'm happy to say that I'm going to be 40 when the last one comes out. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'll be dead it. by then. <laughs> I didn't say maybe you're going to be 40. I mean, maybe it'll be coming out. That's morbid. <laughs> so here we are. We're talking about The Mummy's Hand. Um, right off the bat, I don't know why this is the name of the movie. Maybe mm-hmm. because like, his hand is just like, not functioning so like let's name it that but it is a cool sounding title i do got to say that it's had a lot of intrigue like oh the mummy's hand yeah what could that possibly be about it totally plays almost it sounds like a like a tales from the crypt comic or something like that but yeah totally right the title of this film has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the actual plot of this film but yeah rad title nonetheless it's which is so interesting because we get the mummy's tomb later on right <laughs> Yeah, which seems yeah. like how did they it, not this, call the first? Sequel this should that? be the mummy's tomb, right? Yeah, because yeah, this is about a tomb. <laughs> yeah. I but, but again, no, it's about a powerful hand, I think. Yeah, I think so. A mighty a, hand, a very powerful bandaged, crippled hand. Indeed. All right. So if we were going to before, we're not going to talk about anything else for a second. If we're going to rename this movie for a more accurate title, what would you guys come up with? Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. I, I got it. 
Steve Banning and the Last Crusade. Okay. I dig it. I dig it. Mike, what's uh, that? Hold on. Uh, Raiders of the I Don't Care About Human Life. Yes, yes, true, true. I don't know. Uh, Banning, Banning and Babe Meet the Mummy. Okay. Because it, it definitely <laughs> uh, feels like that. Slapsticky. I, I went with The Magician versus The Mummy. You know, I like oh, my see, verses. I do oh, like that. Yeah. No, that's good. There you go. Yeah, playing about, up the Monster Rally. I get it, yeah. What about uh, Babe's Follies? Babe's Follies. Babe's Follies. <laughs> Pretzels and Mummies, yeah. <laughs> Pretzels and Mummies. And mummies. <laughs> How about Babe Killed a Guy? <laughs> Babe Killed a Guy? Yeah, um, yeah, it's in my plot summary, but he kills him in, he's in, in sure cold is. blood. In <laughs> cold blood. hero of this movie, right? He's yeah. the hero of this movie, right? Like Cold blood. <laughs> shoots that man. You think, this, you think this film is all fun and games until Babe just kills an innocent man? Babe killed a guy. Killed a guy, just straight out. But yeah, I mean, as Gary will uh, take the reins on this, there is a plot summary, because if you guys haven't known, this is a really epic runtime that we're dealing with this week. This is a, a whopping 67 minutes. It's lean, mean, and really to the point. And I'm sure Gary has a, a another quality fucking plot summary for us. My plot summary might be longer than the movie, but we'll get to that in a second. You said lean and mean. And this movie was made for was made lean and mean. Um, what's you got any background on on the mummy's hand, Mike, or Christy Cal Calabria? <laughs> That's not it. Cabanera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do got. I do have a, a little bit of some info for you guys. Um, yeah. So the Mummy's Hand. This is obviously following the success of things um, like Frankenstein and the Invisible Man franchise that were revived to really great success. So Universal Brass at the time felt it was ripe to resurrect the Mummy again. Like I said, eight years after the original film, longest stretch between an original film and its follow-up in the entirety of the Universal Monsters canon. Um, so gone here is sort of the inflated budgets and the more, you know, grandeur sets, um, although we do have that in this film. Um, but all of that's kind of done and it's everything's kind of chopped down and budgeted uh, very modestly. So modestly, in fact, that this film only cost a mere $80,000 um, and they began rolling in May of 1940 under the production supervision of Ben Pivar who had done such things as um, that same year's Devil's Pipeline, which was also helmed by the same director of The Mummy's Hand, uh, Christy Cabana. Uh, he also did Horror Island and The Mad Ghoul in 43. He was a real noted penny pincher, and uh, just from what people have reported in interviews, he was a really uncreative and rude exec. Uh, Christy Cabana, who would take on the directorial helm of this film, uh, he had... Well over 150 directorial credits to his name. He was a very efficient filmmaker with a career that dated all the way back to the 1910s. But his career began to fizzle out with the advent of sound. So he was brought in to helm the mummy's hand and, you know, typically working through long nights to maintain the film's really strict two week shooting schedule, which is a far cry from many of the other films that we've seen. In Seriously? This yeah. Two week shooting schedule. Oh, listen, um, if you can't get it done in two weeks. And what are you even doing? Yeah. What are you doing? But. You know, Did they have off credit. on Sundays? <laughs> no, no, quite. not really, because, uh, you know, with again, with a really tight shooting schedule and a tight budget, uh, the mummy's hand would only run slightly over schedule uh, and over budget by only four grand before it wrapped up uh, filming in June and then premiered in September. Uh, yeah. So, again, really tight, a far cry and not as far as we would think, you know, towards the later Frankenstein movies, those things were getting into, you know, budgeted at several hundred dollars and you know just going constantly over budget but if you remember the original film did come in under budget and under schedule that film only cost a little over $196,000 so not a huge budget disparity between the two films but uh, it's really their approaches where I think everybody can cite that the mummy <clears throat> is really you know grand and beautiful to look at this film is really stripped down it has a much more kind of B picture serialized thrills quality about it but I think that's all to the film's credit but I digress we'll get into all that later was uh, was Karloff not approached for this, not asked? What happened there? Uh, no, yeah, actually, it doesn't seem like uh, Karloff was really in the cards anymore. I think after Son of Frankenstein wrapped, he kind of wiped his hands clean of everything having to do with, um, you know, the Universal Monsters proper. Uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, uh, you know, before, this film really takes um, a 
quite a different approach to everything. Um, this is a film that is, you know, it's really built upon um, hand-me-downs. And what I mean by that is The Mummy's Hand um, recycles footage from the original Mummy. It lifts a musical score almost directly from Son of Frankenstein. And then uh, the film's most, you know, impressive set piece, this really in uh, incredible uh, temple set, is completely taken from James Whale's Green Hell, and it's reused for the climax here, best part of the film. Um, and of course, you know, it's got a again, another stripped down rapid pace to it, but I think it's all to the credit of this film. You mentioned James Whale. That name sounds familiar, but I can't quite place it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like somehow, some way, James Whale kind of sneaks his way into <laughs> you know, every episode. That sneaky if bitch. James Whale, if James Whale, Karloff, or Lugosi doesn't end up at least being mentioned in one of our episodes, I'm going to kill myself. Oh boy. Wow. Um is that a province or a threat? <laughs> there's there's another person that we haven't mentioned in a while, and that's Jack Pierce. I, yeah. I, I guess I could look it up, but I assume Jack Pierce was behind the makeup on this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jack Pierce came back, but not uh, as in big of a role as you might expect. Uh, the makeup effects, as you know, in typical Jack Pierce fashion, they never fail to impress. But Jack Pierce only really did uh, the makeup um, in Tom Tyler's close ups. Tom Tyler, of course, plays the mummy in this film. Um, and they were shot in just a single day where the rest of the time that Tyler is on screen, um, he's really just wearing a rubber mask. But I think it works out just as well. But yeah, Jack Pierce, uh, the makeup is there. But again, only done in a day. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff going on where, you know, once you get into the plot, Tom Tyler, uh, part of the reason he was cast was because he had uh, really great expressive eyes. And you see that in here, but they also went a step further um, by making his eyes um, additionally more creepy by having them blacked out frame by frame in close ups. <clears throat> really cool and probably um, a bit painstaking to do that. But again, it's these really quick shots and his eyes are completely blacked out, which look really creepy and cool. You mentioned Tom Tyler. Looking at this cast here, that's actually the only name I knew before this movie, believe it or not, because oh. he played Captain Marvel in sure. uh, very early Captain Marvel serial, and I'm a big Captain Marvel slash Shazam fan, that uh. Captain Marvel, folks. <laughs> more, more, more importantly, he was in Stagecoach, which is one of the best early Westerns, I would say. <clears throat> Still holds up to this day. I'm a real sucker for a John Ford Western, even... Even though John Wayne is the star, and that guy was not a particularly good actor. Yeah, he did a he did a lot. Tom Tyler had um, like 180 credits to his name, uh, namely westerns, like you said. Uh, you know, The Searchers, Adventures of Captain Marvel, being a real standout. But yeah, appeared in loads and loads of westerns. Uh, Riders of the Rio Grande. Uh, I shot Jesse James. She wore a yellow ribbon. Tons of great stuff. But yeah, he's selected to uh, take over the role. Of course, made by uh, Karloff. So yeah, it's a very different um, role. Uh, Tom Tyler is kind of just more playing the monster. There's not much acting or expressive nature to it, but I think that he fits the bill rather nicely in this film. He's got a he's got an impressive physique. He used to be a power lifter before he got into acting. Yeah, it shows too because he's yeah he's got a really he's, good physique for the role. He's, he's menacing in this far Absolutely. far more than you can say that Karloff was in the original. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what's interesting about this cast, and this is a thought I had, I want to see what you guys think. Of all the movies we've watched so far, this to me feels like the most ensemble cast, because while Steve Banning is probably the lead, I don't really know if he's the lead. I think every all the supporting actors mm -hmm. have just as much impact and as much to do. And we have a really, I think the cast is really great. Um, you know, Wallace Ford as Babe Jensen is, is really funny, gets a lot of chuckles. I, I'm a Cecil Kellaway to me stole this movie. He was excellent in his limited screen time. Um, Peggy Moran, uh, more than a lot of the women that we've covered in recent movies, has a lot to do in this movie. Yeah. Um, and and Dick Dick Foran, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Um, he's he's fine. He's just that classic 1940s leading man man. But the uh, I think I, that's what my thought was. In, more of an ensemble cast than than a star vehicle. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and I think that's a, a, a big part of what makes this film so damn fun. It's the chemistry amongst the entire cast that's really noticeably entertaining. Uh, you know, although they're not exactly overtly, you know, exchanging in like 
over the, you know, overt slapstick hijinks. I think Dick Ferran and Wallace Ford share this almost like lo-fi Abbott and Costello relationship with Ford obviously playing like the funny fat man. Um, you mentioned Peggy Moran. Uh, she's great in it. She's very spunky. She was a really hardworking contract player for Universal who appeared in over 20 films in four years for the studio. She brings, yeah, like wicked, wicked pace. She was working at that time. But yeah, she brings a real spunkiness um, to the array of leading ladies, I'd say, that we've seen in monster films. Uh, she takes charge whenever she can, namely when she barges in uh, uh, into Steve and Babe's hotel and flaunts a phony gun after she uh, is accusing them of taking her father's money. And uh, again, you know, you men mentioned um, Cecil Calloway, and he's just charming as this gullible magician who bonds with Steve and Babe, all, you know, over them all hailing from Brooklyn, which I thought was funny. You know, three guys from Brooklyn, you know, stuck in Cairo. I thought that was a funny setup. You know, it's funny because my wife and I joke about this a lot because her family, her entire family is from Brooklyn. Like her parents were grew up in Brooklyn and moved to New Jersey. Boomtown Brooklyn. Every time we go anywhere and meet someone from Brooklyn, anywhere, they somehow know each other. There's sure. some connection. We're like, <laughs> oh, do you know this guy? Yeah, that was my teacher. Oh, yeah, I live right down the block. Yeah. I swear, like, she knows everybody in Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, I believe, is the biggest borough. So that blows my mind that everyone knows each other. James yeah. is looking off into the, the distance mean, like he's thinking. Yeah, we're, 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 I don't know if it's Brooklyn. the most dense, but it might be the largest borough. Where Brooklyn at? <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn at? Where Brooklyn so at? It was just it was just funny that you mentioned that because I was in my notes too, Mike. Like, everyone from Brooklyn knows each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's, what's you're right, though. Like, Go ahead. Uh, what's interesting with uh, Peggy Moran is that she, you know, she banged out like 45 credits in a span of five years and then or, or 35 credits in five years and then just got out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Her is, last film. Was I mean, like you just crazy. dropped the mic after that. What else can you do? Well, yeah. and, and not just that, like she lived to 2002 and she, you know, she was out of Hollywood for almost 60 years before she died yeah i guess that that rapid pace you know kind of being put through the rudder probably was yeah. like massive when, when it takes two weeks to make a movie and she probably was only filming for a week of it i, I get it it's fair yeah. <laughs> it's fair yeah exactly um also from the cast worth noting is uh george zucco who plays andohep and you may know him as the guy, the guy who looks like the guy who plays Emotep in uh, the 1999 Mummy movie because they look exactly the same. They really do. They They're really very do. Similar. Yeah. Uh, I, was, he, I was like, is this great. the same guy? Because that would have been crazy. He's yeah. also uh, you probably most well known as Moriarty in uh, what is it? The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone. Basil, baby. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a great uh, he's a great character actor. You know, you mentioned uh, playing Moriarty. He he appeared in tons of stuff. The Cat and the Canary, uh, the Monster and the Girl. Uh, he would reprise the role that he plays in The Mummy's Hand in The Mummy's Tomb and The Mummy's Ghost um, as a high priest. Uh, he was also in Return of the Ape Man. And then we'll see him again in a few episodes in House of Frankenstein. So, yeah, he was uh, uh, warmly welcomed into the Universal Monster canon. And uh, we surely were happy to have him because he's great in the mummy's hand. Yeah, the cast is, is, is really solid in this. And you mentioned the chemistry between Steve and Babe. I definitely wanted more of that. And I, I, I peeked ahead. They sort of appear in the sequel. It, it's in the future, so we don't get to see them like hang out a lot. I could have watched a whole series of movies with these guys. I guess that's what Evan and Costello are. But still, yeah. like I, I could have watched like these bumbling guys having like adventures. Like that would have been really fun. Yeah, it, it, it's it's funny too because when you go back, uh, both of them led pretty interesting careers with a lot of career highlights. Uh, first and foremost, Dick Ferran. Let's give it up for our own Jersey boy from Flemington. What yep. up? Um, he did a lot of stuff. Uh, he appeared in the House of the Seven Gables, and we talked about that film a lot. Um, a Everybody was back. in that movie. Everybody was in that movie, literally. He, uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the the following year in '41, he was in in the Navy with Abbott and Costello. Uh, he worked with John Ford on Ford Apache. Loads of television work with stuff like Death Valley Days, Lassie, Perry Mason, The Virginian. But then jumping with uh, Wallace Ford, again playing his, you know, his heavy set, uh, you know, best friend. He played uh, uh, Forso in Freaks, the Todd Browning classic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
he Gary, was, Gary, you know all about that movie, right? Yeah, you know. James bought that. that for me on DVD, and I never watched it because the box art was too scary. It's, <laughs> it's so good. Oh, too it's spooky. so great. It's so good. But yeah, Wallace Ford, uh, he worked with John Ford in The Whole Town's Talking, uh, Two Girls on Broadway, where that starred uh, Lana Turner and Joan Blondell. He does reprise the role of Babe in The Mummy's Tomb. He was also he worked with Hitchcock and Shadow of a Doubt, like just loads and loads of stuff, worked with really accomplished people in the, in the industry. So while a lot of these names might not stand out to you in, in 1940 in a film like a B picture like this, all these people really went on to really impressive careers and did a lot of stuff. And they're all great together in this. We've talked about that chemistry and it really shines through. Was this movie a success? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to uncover like actual uh, box office returns on it, but suffice to say it was a modest success. It, it definitely was a modest success um, enough for, you know, universal to kind of press ahead uh, with three more films in what would be known uh, as the Karis saga. Um, the character of the mummy uh, in 1955's Abin Costello meet the mummy is actually named Claris. That way that's why that one's not technically part of the, "Quote unquote," Karis saga. Hello, Claris. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, there's and there's there's definitely, you know, I made a joke about it earlier, but there's there is a lot of Indiana Jones DNA in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely. there's there's no question in my mind that Lucas and Spielberg were inspired by by this. I think specifically. Yeah, there, there's definitely that that serialized. Uh, thrill vibe in this for sure. I'm going to make a prediction. Indiana Jones is going to fight a mummy in Indiana Jones part five, which is now filming. And if you're listening (laughs) to this in the future and I was right, well, aha. Oh, wait a second. Indiana Jones did fight a mummy. It was in Steven Soderbergh's mummy. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Gare. Yeah. Talked a lot about the production of this movie, but we didn't talk about this movie. What's it about, bro? Why don't you tell us about yeah, it? Spill it. Spill the beans. Yeah. It's actually, you know, it's kind of about the 1999 mummy plot. Uh, it, they're very similar. Definitely, <laughs> I mean, it gets, is very definitely similar. gets an influence there. But let's jump into it. It actually has another interesting movie tie-in, which I'm going to start off my plot summary with. Is it with G.I. Joe? No, no. Are you guys oh, okay. interested? Are you guys ready? Are you interested? I'm Are you interested? I mean, I'm ready. I don't know if I'm interested. <clears throat> All right, here I go. I've got a lot of words to say. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven paragraphs. It's one of them, Cabana. Always two there are, a master and apprentice. This is the way of the Sith. (laughs) The high priest of Karanataka summons his Sith apprentice to the hill of the seven jackals. The high priest tells his apprentice, Andohep, the tale of Karis, who was a white man living in ancient Egypt, who was mummified for trying to use the sacred Tana leaves to revive his love, Princess Anaka. During every full moon, the Sith have to give Karis the fluid of three Tana leaves. However, a full nine Tana leaves will, revi- will revive Karis and allow him to do your bidding. I'm going to pause right there. Okay. <laughs> that box of leaves did not seem to have enough to, to last eternity. I'm just going to say that. You know yeah. what? There's there's something to say here, but I'm gonna wait till after you finish wrapping it up because I got it's something I feel very passionate about, but I don't want to interrupt the flow of this just delightful retelling of the Star <laughs> <Yes>. Wars saga. <laughs> Please tell us about the Force more. Meanwhile, archaeologist Steve Banning spends far too much money on a broken vase, <laughs> along with his life partners Babe Jensen. <laughs> Steve visits Doctor Peachtree of the Cairo Museum. Steve believes the vase is the final clue that can lead him to the tomb of Anaka and the promised witches within. But in a crazy coincidence, now Sith Lord Andohep also works at the Cairo Museum. And since he is sworn to protect the tomb, he decides the best way to do that is breaking the vase. I think he could probably do better, guys. <laughs> That's it. But that doesn't seem to matter, as Steve is determined to find the tomb anyway. When Babe tries to swindle a crazy old man into buying him drinks, he himself is duped. That old man is actually the great Saldani, a magician overflowing with the with that magical magic magician cash. I can't even read what I wrote there. Jeez. <laughs> he's got he's got money. <laughs> Saldani agrees to fund Steve's expedition for two thousand dollars. 
Also, a bar fight breaks out because we have to see how badass Steve is. <laughs> Um, I don't know why there was a bar fight, but it was cool. Sylvani's <laughs> daughter, Marta, thinks Steve and Babe are frauds and goes to scare them into giving back her money with a gun, which seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> During the dig, the crew, dis- the crew discovers the tomb of Carice. The, uh, the creature is awakened, killing Dr. Peachtree, among others. This seemingly is of no concern to Steve, as he insists the group continues to look looking for riches. Carice kidnaps Marta for Andotep because, say it with me, guys, Anho- Andohep wants to bang Marta. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. Because yeah. that's, that's what you are if you're a villain in a Universal Monster movie. Yeah, everyone's, sure. movie. <laughs> everyone's horny. Everyone's horny. Andohep plans to use the Tana leaves to make Marta immortal, but Babe, is, Babe just straight up murders him in cold blood. <laughs> Steve rescues Marta. cold blood. Well, he just straight up murders him. Yeah, I mean, he does murder him. That's, <laughs> he was an unarmed man. That. He was an unarmed man. There's a I lot of places would... to bury bodies in Cairo, I, so I don't I think don't they care. I think he might have been able to uh, use the stand your ground law. I don't, I'm not 100% sure how that works. Or like, or like, hey, judge, uh, he had a mummy. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he wasn't not armed. You're going to go with that defense. He had a mummy. Okay. Steve rescues Marta and burns Carice before the group uh, discovers the actual tomb of Anakin. Steve, Marta, Babe, and Babe's girlfriend that he's been carrying around the entire movie, which is a toy, get yeah. rich and live happily ever after. There it is. Well, there it is. spoiler alert, I don't think they're all going to live happily ever after. <laughs> Not you, Steve Bannon. <laughs> yep. So, question for you guys. You know, when the movie opens up uh, at the, the Sith Temple... Yes. Was, was that... Theoretically, Egyptian high priest absolutely chanting a Christian prayer. <laughs> I mean, I, di- I didn't catch that, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's yeah. it sounded very it sounded very much in in, in the Christian ideals, <laughs> and not so much in you know literally anything dealing with the Egyptian pantheon. Well, you know, the film was made in the year of our Lord, so maybe it had something to do with it. Um, also. Uh, um, um, I'm sorry, Gary. Go ahead, please. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, like, uh, Ando ha- has a job. He works at the museum. Does this other guy just chill in that, that throne all day? The high priest? The high priest, yeah. The, the Emperor, Emperor Palpatine. Does he just chill there all day, waiting, yeah. waiting for that full moon where he has to feed the mummy leaves? Yeah, I mean, when you're the emperor, you just kind of sit back in a chair and just, like, say, like, creepy things. <laughs> like, yeah. Unlimited power. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he sure does die like a Sith or a Jedi because he just disappears. disappears. <laughs> um, so did anybody have... I, I had some thoughts about... Uh, also, um, Garrett, can you... What's the mummy's name again? Caris. Because, like, I swear to God, I, I heard you say the same name five different times. Different ways. <laughs> I did. I, I said Anakin a bunch of different times. Uh, I wrote Anakin <laughs> once in my notes. Anakin. <laughs> uh, Hep. That's a tough one. The names are tough. Yeah. Um... But I would I would say that what got me with the story of uh, Karis is that it just seemed like an awful lot of effort to bury uh, bury him and hide his body and like not actually kill him. I was gonna say that because like, they, they, they buried him, they killed the slaves, then dug him up and yeah, buried him again. Right, Why right. Use the yeah. slaves to kill, bury him and then kill I mean, them. They they could have just killed the guy and let him rot in the desert, right? I yeah. mean, burying him alive, keeping him alive. Murdering the slaves that buried him, and I guarantee you that they didn't get such treatment that they were buried. Yeah. <laughs> and then moving and hiding his body—that sounds exhausting. Yeah. Like, this guy just—you kill him. They just, yeah. And they just, they just wanted to make him suffer as as much as humanly possible, Except I guess. But is that because he's living in a state of undeath where he's clearly mindless and he's he's a he's a walking WMD really, like. Yeah. It's crazy, man. So these 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 scenes were obviously recycled from the the original mummy, and did they just splice in Tom Tyler? Was that the only difference? Yeah. So it's interesting with this film because you could you could make a case for it. Uh, not even so much a case. I mean, it's sort of right there. It, it's the mummy's hand is kind of serving as a bit of a soft reboot while still acknowledging many moments of the original film. So the mummy's hand. Yes, it recycles footage from the mummy to reestablish the mythos um, 
and Imhotep, who is now named Karis in the sequel, uh, Imhotep's sacrilege by attempting to revive the deceased princess uh, with these clever editing techniques. So while the film still utilizes Karloff's footage in wide shots, time Tom Tyler is replaced in close-ups and... Um, the Mummy's Hand replaces the original film's kind of brooding love story with the mummy in this one more or less serving as like a, a brutal bodyguard to his love and disposing of anyone who attempts to disturb her tomb. Pretty simple, short to the point. You know, it's just it's just a the mummy is there to protect and anybody that gets in his way. He's just going to, you know, annihilate them. And I'm fine with that. Like, I like that. It's just simple. It's fun. It's, you know to the point he's he definitely got like a jason Voorhees vibe to him in this movie yeah totally like, now you said that that imhotep is now caris are we are we caris caris i don't know how to pronounce Karis. it are we supposed to believe it's the same character or just yeah very similar like, circumstances well that, that's the thing it, it's like it, it is the same character so like i i mean they're just they could have just kept it as imhotep yeah, to make it no simpler, reason. but yeah. like I guess with the eight year gap, I guess some, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe it was just some, you know, stupid exec, it's... maybe Ben Pivar, who was like, you know what, what this film needs, you need to change the 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 monster's name. And that's really it. They're still acknowledging basically like the events of what set the original mummy into play, but now instead of Imhotep, it's Karis. That that's really what they're changing. So from this point on, the next three films it's Karis like that's the Karis saga yeah it's it's 100% a reboot for sure yeah yeah and I and I love I really genuinely love this film I mean we're gonna get deeper into it but you know I'm just gonna come right out and say it I totally 100% prefer the mummy's hand to the original film just flat out you sound crazy <laughs> hmm, I wonder where I land on that in that uh... I can't remember who who said it because I don't know everything just kind of blurred together at at one point while I was watching it. Um, they dropped the Children of the Night. Yeah, in this movie, yeah. I was like, oh, that's very yeah. good. Yeah, that was very cool. good. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite lines in this film, actually. <laughs> I thought the beginning was pretty good, like setting up like what what we have to do here and setting up this character, kind of the passing of the torch to. Andohep, who clearly fails at his job on the first time he has to do it. Like, yeah. He's terrible at it. He's, bad yeah. at he's just like he's just like the, the puppet master of it it's all. Cause, like, it's because he falls in love. Really, love love gets in the way. Yeah, or horny. If he wasn't, if he, yeah, if he wasn't thinking with his dick, he would have been fine. <laughs> What's love got to do with it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Tina said it best. Um, they, yeah. they talk about the leaf, the leave, the tana leaf fluid a lot. They say the yeah. word fluid very often in this movie. <laughs> It's unnerving. He keeps saying, fluid, he needs to get his fluid. Give him the fluid. Oh, God, stop saying that word. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> I, I, I love the, intro, the introduction of uh, Steve and Babe. Because right away, you, you get them. They're buddies. They, they're not grifters, but they're definitely bullshit artists. Yeah, I mean they're they're totally fishes out of water here. Like they, yeah. you, you could not be farther away from where they normally are. So they really stick out. But I I like that quality in these films. Just like two guys that you would never in a million years imagine would be in the predicament that they're in, but they are, and they need to like you know they need to deal with it and fight their way out of it. So it, it makes for good entertainment. Certainly. So they are um, in Cairo because they've had some expeditions and had some digs and they were not successful. So this is kind of their last ditch effort, correct? Yeah. They're, they're basically trying to find anything because they're broke. You know, when the movie come, when the movie begins, they're flat broke. And now they're just trying to figure out, you know, anything that they can come by that can get them hopefully back to Brooklyn. But then of course, once Banning kind of discovers that vase and stuff like that, he starts seeing there's, you know, potentially a bigger picture here. And that's what takes them down sort of the rabbit hole that leads them, of course, to uh, Karis and, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the plot, if you will, of the film. I like Babe flirting with that vendor on the side of the road. Oh, that's like, great. Like, and then she comes back at the end of the movie. I'm like, yo, is he going to like, he's going to whisk her away? Like, I really wanted that to happen. Yeah. I'm like, Babe, go back for your girl, man. He's got that little good luck charm that he buys from her, that like little dancing hula girl like statue. What does he call it? Oh. oh something uh, weird. It was yeah, some Uba, funny name Uba of or something like that. Yeah, yeah like it's a good luck charm. Yeah, Bobby. It's a Bobby. Yeah, yeah. It's a Bobby. Yeah. 
Baby. Was, is Babe a scientist? Like Banning is clearly like a I think I think Babe Yeah, I think something. Babe was probably the guy that like held the shovels, but they were like, Oh, he's so much fun to have around. Let's just keep him around. <laughs> Babe is the I, I think his role is Don Rickles, right? Yeah. yeah. Is, yes, he's, he's he's a professional Rickles. Mm-hmm. Yes. He he went full Rickles. Yeah. <laughs> he, went, he went full Rickles. You know what's uh interesting too, um, with this film? Less than a week before the film was set to roll, Universal sought uh, Peter Lorre, presumably, for the Ando Heb role, which, of course, you know, we know went to George Zuko. Um, but Zucco uh, initially earned critical acclaim for his role in James Whale's stage production of Journey's End in the role of Lieutenant Osborne, which he performed over five hundred times before he made his screen debut in British pictures and then he made his American debut just a few years before this film uh in After the Thin Man, another great sequel. I love the Thin Man movies. They're great fun. Great, great. So fun. good. Yeah, so that's funny. Peter Laurie again could have had a spot in it, didn't work out, but we got uh George Zucco, which worked out quite handsomely. I gotta say I love the entire bar sequence from beginning to end. Like once they're that's in so there. Much fun. Yeah, Babe is hustling people, and then he himself gets hustled by Silvani. It's just so much fun. Um, and Silvani is a fantastic character, just a ball of energy every time he's in the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Agreed. I, I, yeah I, I love him. I, I love that whole dynamic. It's just this gullible magician with his daughter, and then they come in, you know, con- you know, they come in contact with these two Brooklyn-born archaeologists. Like again, these are all people that have no business being where they are in the world, but they are. And then of course they become like the unlikeliest of heroes, which is really fun and cool. I don't uh, know if I would say that Silvani is gullible. I think that he's wildly optimistic for a man in the entertainment industry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's certainly not dated, yeah. Considering he he wanted to take his magic act and thought he was going to strike it rich in Cairo. Yeah, like he thought, like this is where I'm gonna. This is my, this is Cairo's this the new is, Hollywood. Yeah, this is where I become Mr. Moneybags. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he does. I love magic, guys. I don't know if you know that about me, listeners. I'm a big magic fan, and he does some great magic. I know how he did that, filling up the glass trick, but I'll never tell. Well, well, well. Yeah, some magician never reveals his secrets. <laughs> I will never tell how he does that because I figured it out. Tell us after the episode's over, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, do it, coward. No, the Magician's Guild will kick. I'm not in the Magician's Guild yet. Not yet, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So what was that bar fight? Other than awesome and fun, was it like Amhotep was trying to stop these guys, like he was already onto them and doing anything he could to stop them? Or there was just a bar fight because they didn't like Steve Banning and uh, Babe? I thought they was trying to get the, the vase because of the vase they couldn't find the tomb. But yeah. am I wrong? I don't know. It was big fun. And that's... I don't know. A fight just broke out. I'm like, yeah. I'm into it. I don't care. Big, big, yeah. big, big into it. It's just like, you know, it's like for such a slim runtime, they they really pace this movie and the the set pieces like a serial, you know, like that bar fight comes at like the exact moment where you want something action packed and entertaining to happen. And that's what happens. It's funny, you know, you know, punches are being thrown, windows are being smashed and, and, uh, um, you know, uh, Babe and Banning just try and make it out of there with their with their necks uh, intact. But yeah, it that feels le- straight out of an Indiana Jones movie. Totally does. Totally mm-hmm. does. It's it's just it's got that serialized vibe that I keep talking about because that's really what this film does. You know, it has it just it just plays to those you know cheaper sort of B picture thrills. Uh, you know, a bit of a cry from the more you know, artistic highs of a lot of the earlier Universal films. And that's really uh, what this franchise in particularly becomes, you know, whether you like that or not, I think that it it benefits tenfold from that. And, you know, we'll get into that, you know, once we wrap up. But yeah, totally. How many fucking bullets were in Marta's gun in the hotel because she's definitely got a six shooter but she's I like, count it. it she took nine bullets to make yeah. that heart on the door with that's, the I mean, like, I listen, mean it, was a fake, it was a fake gun no it that was, was a real gun that was she was putting was it real well that was it, like a pellet it, gun or something I mean it's a it's a fake gun in so much as it's a prop gun yeah in real life but no that was that was she she had a hand cannon on her because apparently she's like a trick shooter or something in her dad's show do you oh, know that man. she actually shot that real gun and she did that for real? Like, wow. 
No, that's a lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh man, sure. I thought it would have been so cool. Harry, you fucking rube. <laughs> I'm I'm gullible like uh, Silvani. Us, us magicians, <laughs> the thing about us is we're really gullible, <laughs> which you wouldn't think a magician would be. <laughs> I like that scene. It's pretty cool. Babe was terrified and was about to like just give her anything, and then banning is really cool. Yeah. Um, I never got that there was any sort of chemistry between those two, Banning and um, Marta, Marta, until later on in the movie after Marta sees a dead body and then just decides to kiss him. Yeah. And then, like, it, <laughs> Which like, I thought was that, a weird time to do that. It ran, I think, up a little bit, but yeah, it's not until she kisses him then they're like, oh, let's actually follow through with this. Yeah, because it's just like expected. Like at that time, especially like you're making sort of like an action thrill horror ride like you know the girl you know the guy the leading man always has to end up with the girl but that the movie never really hung on that it was never about the 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 leading man saving this girl or not like you know peggy moran's character is very self-sufficient she like we've mentioned she's really spunky and she can take care of herself for the most part and that's sort of the stuff that we've said time and time again in past episodes that's what we love seeing in Mm -hmm. um, the female leads and i think that peggy moran is great in this film if not a really underrated um leading lady in the the universal monster canon totally we should watch all 40 of the movies that she did in two years and just rank the (laughs) peggy moran cast (laughs) the peggy moran marathon (laughs) there you go there you go i'm down that gets us kind of after cairo they're they're just in the desert here digging and and they immediately well babe Blows up some rocks with some dynamite, which is pretty great. Like a real butthead. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought, oh my god, is Babe dead? Is that that's it? And no, he was hiding behind another rock and he was safe. And then they find um Caris. Car- Come on, Caris. 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 They find Caris, and Caris comes back to life and kills Dr. Peachtree. Peachtree. <laughs> Peachtree, yeah, that's what I said. And Peachtree, um yeah. and like I Babe Banning doesn't care. Well, I mean Listen, that's one less cut that he's got to dole out. Yeah, man. <laughs> Come on, man. I didn't take Economical. He's a businessman. Yeah, he's a businessman. Economical. <laughs> and all the workers kind of abandon ship, and they're like, no, this is haunted. We're getting out of here. Yeah. Less God. of a payout. Economical. No, I, don't th- also, I don't think any of those workers were getting a payout. Uh, Savani gave him $2,000 to fund that entire expedition. So those guys were getting like oh, inflation, <laughs> like half a cent an hour. <laughs> all the grave robbing. I'm talking about for all the grave robbing. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, when when they run, man, it's just like, who cares about their religion? <laughs> we need them to dig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> What a piece of shit. <laughs> Banning's great. Banning's awesome. Banning's awesome. <laughs> we, add, we add Banning to our um, like Monster Hunter squad. So we have an Invisible Man Hunter from last week. We have um, the guy with the arm from Son of Frankenstein. We have Van Helsing. And I'm going to throw Banning and Babe in there. And also Savani. Like we were just building an sure. Avengers of Monster Hunters. <laughs> there we go. The one person that we haven't talked nearly enough about is Tom Tyler. I think that... Um, you know, it's it's taking over the reins from Karloff is no easy feat. And again, it's it's a very different mummy. I mean, he's more of just, again, the mute bodyguard that's, uh, you know, like you mentioned, sort of like a Jason Voorhees type where he's this silent killer, like a fart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you were all thinking that. But, you know, I, I think that he's good. James mentioned his physique and what they, you know, they did to black out his eyes. But again, not an easy feat taking over for Karloff. And it's it's a different thing. This this doesn't, you know, hinge on some tragic love story between the mummy and the princess so much. It's just he's there, but he's awesome. You know, his physicality really um, works for what he's doing in the film. And I think he has a real menacing uh, approach to it. And I think one of the complaints, if I remember correctly, we all had with the original mummies, we don't actually get to see the mummy that much, right? He's yeah. in that opening sequence, and then yeah. he's um, he's Ardith Bay for the rest of the movie. Um, we really get a lot of the mummy in the mummy costume and a great look at him, and he looks really cool. I've yeah. always liked the mummy just look and and makeup and everything. We talked about Jack Pierce, but he looks great in this movie. Yeah, I, I think that that's something where, although they, you know, they, they really shaved the budget down and when we talked about this in son of frankenstein where a lot of things 
um, post Son of Frankenstein. You know, the budgets, everything got stripped and whatnot. But The Mummy's Hand, that's something where I think that they really, really course corrected, where they were like, yeah, you don't really see much of the fucking mummy in the original film. So that's something that I'm so happy they immediately course corrected and they really follow through uh, through the rest of the sequels. Mummy sure chokes people with his one hand, huh? Is that his only way of murder? Choking? <laughs> it's, a, it's yeah, it's the. I mean, that's a really that's a really strong hand to say money jerks off with. So, so okay, uh, there was, I think it must have been near the end, the big, uh, the big climactic temple fight, the best scene in the film. Yeah, yeah. But whenever the mummy walks with his right hand pinned to his chest, all I'm thinking is. Oh, that's that's Chris Elliott in Scary Movie too. Yeah, Take yeah. the strong hand. Take strong hand. Um, was that because he wasn't at full strength? Like, what was going on there? I, I got a choice that the mummy can't use his right hand. I I kind of want to go and rewatch that beginning scene where they tell the the tragic tale of Karis. Is it like, did they do something to him when they undead undeadified him? <laughs> Like that ruined his shit, or was he just like sleeping on it weird all that time? So he was asleep. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, he's been he's he sleeps for like every, you know all the time. I think he only wakes up but during the full moon to drink, and that's it. Yeah, he's just had like mono for two thousand years. Like he just like <laughs> he's just always really tired, and then when people get in his way, he's like, I gotta choke you out. Like, yeah, they just gotta keep him with fluids. He does have mono. You're right. He sleeps a lot, and they just gotta keep keep giving him fluids. That's it's like never. Never enough fucking sleep for this monster. It's they annoying. Just, they just gotta give him this bone broth, and then it's all good. <laughs> all right, let's talk about uh, Mo Hep's uh, plan here to get Marta and make her immortal. Even though she doesn't want that, he never asks her like, "Hey, do you want to be immortal?" And she's like, she would have said no. Yeah, rude. Um, mm. Yeah, he's he's a jerk, and he is in our long line of villains. We just saw one last time with Invisible Man Returns. Who just wants to bang the leading lady? That's that's, yeah. it, that's his motivation. Mm-hmm. A lot of horny folks in these films. A lot of horny folks. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, so, a theme that definitely continues. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like he's really the true villain. Definitely, you know, like the the puppet master, if you will. It, it's just another case of like the monsters. That's the tragedy of some of these monsters, like Frankenstein and the Mummy. They're just being manipulated and you know used for some other guys like gain. But then, of course, they can't contain you know the monsters, and that's when it just you know turns to shit. And then fucking <laughs> and Banning and Babe end up being your fucking heroes. <laughs> yeah, and Banning, uh, Banning doesn't stop the you know ammo ammo hep. Uh, babe shoots him as we talked about, and then Banning just burns the Mummy. Yeah. Well, and and he burns him after he's filled his magic potion, his magic juice. His and the mummy um, was just drinking it off the floor. Yeah, I'm like, pretty, I mean, pretty gross. Yeah, Karis, <laughs> went just he just went straight down the floor to su- to sip up that magic. Uh, Michael, uh, was it Michael's secret stuff? Yeah, like he's like a full blown wino after he's like he drops his bottle and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mind, my, my, yeah, mind your manners, mummy, like shit. You're fucking gross, dude. <laughs> yeah, you but that, that that floor has not been cleaned. Yeah, seriously. But that like that whole temple sequence uh, again, that whole thing like that set is just you know recycled from James Whale's Green Hell film. But it looks great. I mean, again, for a film that's only eighty thousand dollars, they really know they really knew how to properly recycle things and use it to like the best benefit. So they they really got a hell of a lot of mileage out of that because that's the best sequence in the film it looks fantastic looks like a million bucks because it probably cost an astronomical amount in the universal was like yeah just throw uh you know some fucking you know egyptian looking statues and we're good to go likely and one thing we haven't talked about is uh the direction of chris christie and i think it's uh (laughs) it's it's kind of inoffensive like you never really notice anything it's just the movie moves along it's brisk it's lean and yeah. I think uh, I think one of you mentioned that he's done hundreds of movies in his filmography. And, and you could tell this guy's just a professional director. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's what we're going to see more and more. It's like 
things post Son of Frankenstein, although the budgets were being sacrificed, um, you weren't necessarily going to people like a James Whale anymore. They were bringing in more and more, you know, just workhorse types, like people that could really like churn them and burn them quick, you know, like just get in, get out, do the work and that's it. They didn't, they weren't really hungry for, you know, artists with burning desires to tell their story. I mean, these films were profitable, but Universal, you know, they had a bottom line too. They wanted to see these films be profitable, but they, you know, didn't want to spend, you know, that much. It's basically like, you know, an, an early example of what would later become, you know, just the, these micro budgeted films uh, for horror fans, you know, in, in the 2010s, like Paranormal Activity or something, things that cost maybe a million dollars or two and then would go on to, you know, make hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, it, it's not a new concept by any means, but, you know, Universal was doing that sort of stuff as early as, you know, 1940 and stuff with The Mummy's Hand. But again, The Mummy's Hand really, you know, it, it pays itself in spades because I think that this is just fantastic. Again, you know, uh, a better film than The Mummy. I know that's Holy shit. I know that's well, like crazy. Let's see where we all land. We know where Mike's going to go, what his, his thoughts on this movie are. Mike, James, give us your thoughts and final ratings for The Mummy's Hand. Uh, Jimothy, do you want to go first? No, the format is that Mike, you always go Mike, first. You Mike. always oh, go right. first, and then, every, and then every time you go, James, do you want to go first? No, you, we have an order. I well, never want to go first, Miguel. This is true. Okay, all right. Well, I've already gushed enough, but, you know, at the time that this film was released, the critics hailed it as, like, a, a second-rate thriller. But really, mm-hmm. The Mummy's Hand, it's befit with full moons, Fucking magic tricks, a barroom brawl, really good humor, and an exciting climax amongst a grand set. So, yeah, arguably, no, not arguably, The Mummy's Hand is better than its predecessor. Um, You know, the thing is, like, while The Mummy is acknowledged as being a classic... It's fair to say that I think the anticipation of another Karloff starring vehicle after the success of Frankenstein just may have fallen short of expectations due to that film's sleepy pace and over-convoluted mythos. I went over that a lot in our Mummy episode, but meanwhile, The Mummy's Hand, it's firmly aware of the budget restraints um, that it was embarking upon. It really embraces and runs with it, uh, and it makes for a more entertainingly streamlined, occasionally eerie, but always fun follow-up. And I think that it was this change in direction that we're going to see in future episodes that really makes the Mummy films the most consistently fun franchise in the Universal Monster legacy. I'm not saying necessarily the best franchise, I think that that will ultimately go to the Frankenstein films, but consistently fun. And I, I really stand by that. So all that being said, I love the mummy's hand. I think it's a better film than the mummy. It knows what it is, has tons of fun going for it. So I'll give this film um, a solid 3.5 out of five. Jimothy. I mean, 3.5 is not a really like particularly great score, but yeah, um... but I'm keeping it in check. I gave the mummy a three. You were wildly inaccurate on that one. Um, as as the the member of this show who absolutely loves the Mummy, um, I can't in good conscience say that this is a better movie. Uh, I agree that it is more fun. It's it's certainly more of a fun movie. It is the the biggest thing that it's missing is atmosphere. I don't get that, and maybe that's. This is what we're going to get as they turn a little bit more B is that we we lose that atmosphere like the early movies had that gave you that creepy dread uh, throughout it. That being said, like this movie, this movie's super fun. It's an hour long and they jam more story into it than anything. Certainly more than the Invisible Man Returns, certainly more than Werewolf of London. Um it clips by it's it's an easy breezy watch and it's it's a fun watch i think it's weird that they made the choice to reboot it and change the mummy's name they made it its own thing that's fine the original mummy is outside of this it's outside of the theoretical canon but i do like that just like zia johan they got quite a looker in there as the female protagonist and uh yeah i think i think everybody acted well 
it's a fun movie. It's just not as good. I'm, I'm actually going to give it a 3.5 as well. All right. Um, and I'm going to give this movie a 4. I agree with you guys. I think this is a super fun movie. When we watched the, the Karloff Mummy, um, that, that's a good movie. It's a pretty great movie. But I love the Stephen Summers uh, 1999 Mummy. And that movie 100% is influenced by this movie. Like the DNA for the 1999 Brendan Fraser Mummy movie is this movie. And I kept thinking like, oh, I would love a modern remake of, of The Mummy's Hand. But we got it. And it's The Mummy in 1999 with Brendan Fraser and um, Steven Soderbergh. And I, I love that movie. So I love this movie. It's so much fun. James just said it. The cast is terrific. They have great chemistry. We get more of the mummy. And I'm looking forward to what we're going to see for the rest of this series. So, yeah, I'm going to give this movie a four. So pretty great reviews from us you know, all around for, for the mummy. Re- mummy Returns is what I almost called it because that's what this movie should be called. But the, 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 mummy's, the mummy's Hand. And we still have not figured out why this movie's called The Mummy's Hand. The, the mummy it doesn't use his hand. And it's it weird. just sounds cool. Yeah, like it's it just a cool good. title. But yeah, it's a no bearing. No, I think it's because whatsoever. he doesn't use his hand, and like they're like, yeah, that's weird. Let's call it the mummy's hand. Yeah, I wonder if people at the time like thought like, oh, we're going to see a movie about the mummy's hand. That's obviously going to play really heavily into it. And then when the end credits came, they were like, that fucking guy didn't even use his hand. <laughs> it's like it it brings up imagery for me of like the monkey's paw of yeah. like, oh, this is like a mystical. Like maybe it's just mm-hmm. the mummy's hand is like is detaching the mummy, and it's like some sort of magical mystical thing, but it's not. Yeah, it's nothing. It's just we could rewrite this. <laughs> yeah, we we can do this. Could we do better though than Babe and Banning? I don't know. I feel better like a lot Banning. of these movies, a lot of these movies, they just come up with titles and they're like, yeah, make that Son of Frankenstein. That sounds really cool. Make that into a movie. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Pretty much. Perfect. The Mummy's Hand. Write that into a movie. <laughs> so that's what we got for this week for The Mummy's Hand. Next time we're going to be covering. An absolute five-star masterpiece. <laughs> I can't wait till we talk about The Invisible Woman. Yep, Two Invisible a... Movies in one year, because we talked about Invisible Man Returns in early mm-hmm. 1940. And this comes in right at the end of uh, 1940, like the last couple days. I think it's December 27th. Invisible yep. Woman. What do we have to look forward to, Mike? Yes. Well, I got to say, you know, we've mentioned it last episode. Uh, 1940 was uh, a pretty packed year for the Universal Monsters. But what we haven't really explained, and I'm sure we're going to get to it next episode, is 1940 was certainly a bit of a roller coaster ride for the Universal Monster films. And I feel like the big drop is coming with the Invisible Woman. <laughs> That's a good analogy because we liked uh, Invisible Man Returns a lot. We liked uh, Mummy's <laughs> Hand. So. Two out of you three. And I, you and I like Invisible Man Returns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, two out of three solid movies ain't bad. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah. But yeah, 1940s a little rough for me, but I love The Mummy's Hand so much that we'll do it. But yeah, we we have we have one more 1941 to I guess look forward to. So yeah, next time the Invisible. It's like it's like Marvel. Marvel puts out three movies a year, and two of them are good, and one of them is Avengers: Infinity War. So with that being said, wow. <laughs> oh. yeah. Oh. I like that. Oh, wow. Wow, shots fired. James, where can the people find us on the internet? You can find us on Facebook, the worst website in the world. Uh, we, we've got a page, the Monster Alley Podcast. Follow it, join it, join in some discussion, share it with your friends. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Definitely follow us on Instagram, uh, Monster Alley Pod. Monster Alley Pod? Monster, Monster Alley Pod. I should know this by now. <laughs> I think every episode you're like, what is the name of our Instagram? Yeah, uh, listen, 10 episodes in, you think I'd have it. I certainly don't. And uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Uh, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That is huge for us. Um, it would be very helpful. Share it with, you know, everyone you know. Um, that would be super cool of you. Um, that was a weird way to say it. Super cool of you. <laughs> Super cool of you. Um, as I said, if you leave a five-star review, maybe we'll read it on air. And in fact, uh, we have one here from uh, Tamir88. Uh, fun and insightful. This podcast is filled with fun little tidbits and behind-the-scenes knowledge on monster movies that I've spent hours watching. Perfect for any horror fan. Hashtag Six Seasons and The Mummy. Thank you, Tamir. <laughs> nice. Thank wow. You. That was a great review there, Tamir. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, oh. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna throw this gauntlet out right now, James. Oh. Ooh, if you leave gauntlet. us a five star review, I will work that five star review into a plot summary. Yes. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> you heard powerful. it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that is powerful. Yep. So if you leave us a five star review, no matter what it says, I will find a way to correlate it into a plot summary. There it uh, is. There it wow. is. But that's mean, awesome. That- that's like that's the perfect weird. place to mic drop this. Right. I mean, that's, Jesus, that's, that's a hell of a gauntlet, and I think, I think that's it for us. because we, we're not going to be able to top that in the last waning moments of the show. Yeah, we are not. So, thank you guys for listening to the Monster Valley podcast. For Mike, James, this is Gary. I'm saying we will see you next time. I've not figured out a sign off. Creatures of the night, maybe. <laughs> good evening. Good evening. Good, good, good evening works as a hello and a goodbye, I guess. Hey, uh, Gary. Now that we're now that we're off air, um, you're gonna you're gonna tell Mike and I about that that uh, that magic trick with the with the glass, right? Yeah. Stop holding back, Chris Angel. I mean, guys, you know I'm not I'm not supposed to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I know. But like, what, what's what's between friends? You stop, James. You stop recording. I absolutely stop recording. I promise. Okay. All right. So to do that trick, it's actually way easier than you think. All you have. To- Gary? Gary, you there?